I got a good word for you. You ready to get in the word? I want you to take your Bible and open to the book of Joel. Joel in the Old Testament. Last week I began, I began a message that I really think is, is timely. It speaks to the day and age that we're living in. I know we didn't live stream, but we do have that on podcast, and we're going to start getting everything up on YouTube and all that kind of stuff again. Uh, uh, just search my name, podcast, in Apple or Spotify, and you'll see our podcast. If you missed last week's message, you can get it there. Um, this is going to be uh, this is going to be a positive. Man, last week I know was kind of intense at moments, and it was all it was the call to repentance. But this week, oh my goodness, we turn a corner. The joy of the Lord, Hallelujah! Would you stand to your feet as we honor the reading of God's word? I'm going to read a couple selected verses out of chapter two here, Joel chapter two, and let's begin at verse one. I'm reading out of the New King James. Verse 1 says, Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. Everybody say, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is coming. It is at hand. Now, uh, I'm going to talk on these next couple verses, but, but just for the sake of time in our reading, jump down to verse 12. Verse 12, Now therefore, says the Lord, Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. He relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing. Everybody say blessing. Leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Now, one more passage. Let's jump down to verse 25. Verse 25. So, I will restore to you the years the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, consuming locust, and the chewing locust. My great army which I sent among you, you will eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. My people shall never be put to shame. You will know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame and it shall come to pass afterwards. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. On my men servants and maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Let's pray and let's ask the Lord's hand over this time together as we open the word. Mighty God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that it is life and it is light and it is direction, it's rebuke, it's instruction, it's encouragement. And Lord, I'm asking that today, Lord, let there be an anointing upon me that I would preach your word with authority under the unction of your Holy Spirit as I ought to, mighty God. And I ask that you would anoint every person within the sound of my voice, those who are in this room, those who are joining us online or by other method, 
Lord, we ask that you would anoint our ears to hear what you're speaking, our eyes to see, our mind to perceive what it is that you desire to minister to us. And I bind right now the works of the enemy. He who would seek to destroy, distort, uproot, confuse the word even as it comes out. Lord, I pray that you would give us liberty in receiving what your spirit is speaking today through your word. Bless our time together in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said... Amen, amen. You may be seated. I had you repeat a phrase as we began uh, this, uh, this series. We said it last week and we said it this week. It's very interesting. I want you to say, the day of the Lord. Yeah. This is a very interesting phrase. It's used uh, almost exclusively in the prophets. You'll see it continuously through the book of Joel through Amos, Isaiah, Zephaniah, Malachi. It's used a, a number of times in the New Testament as well. And what's interesting is the day of the Lord. As you look at this phrase, it's, it's pretty wild because sometimes you will see the day of the Lord connected to very harsh judgment. You'll see earthquakes. You'll see violent weather, darkness, economic upheaval, even terrible destruction. However... Even as the passage that we read today, you'll also see moments where the day of the Lord is described as a day of the outpouring of the Spirit, growth and prosperity, dreams, vision, restoration, hope, even restoring what the devil has taken. So what, what I want to know is, okay, is the day of the Lord a day of judgment or is the day of the Lord a day of blessing? And what's very interesting, especially about the book of Joel, is you'll actually see both. In chapter 1, the day of the Lord was only used in context of the negative things that were transpiring in that day. However, in chapter 2, you begin to see this transition where the day of the Lord is used in a positive and sometimes in a negative sense. And by chapter 3, it's used almost exclusively in a positive sense. And so you're going to see this thing gets better and better and better as we move along. I shared last week how I believe even in this day what we're seeing is almost like a line being drawn in the sand. And there's a challenge that the Lord is issuing. Which side are you going to be on? There may have been a day and a time where lukewarm Christianity was the norm and it was, it was just the way uh, things can be done. But I believe with all of my heart we're moving into a day and an age where uh, that lukewarmness is not going to be tolerated the way maybe it used to be. That it's like, you know what? The world is going to get more wicked and the church is going to get more radical and on fire and we're going to have to choose which side of the fence we're going to be on. Now what's interesting about the day of the Lord, I don't know if, let me just illustrate it to you a certain way. I, I don't know if any of you, uh, um, maybe husbands, you get your honey-do list as your wife leaves for the day. Is anybody, you can know what a honey-do list is. Honey, do this before I get back. Or, or maybe uh, uh, I, I think about my kids because I actually witnessed my children do this this last week. Mom gives them a list of duties. I want you to do this, 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 and this before I get home, right? She goes out, she's shopping, whatever. And I remember the moment where, for example, my son began, he got up and there was like this panic on the inside of him. And I could tell something was going on. And then I look at my phone, our family message, and I realize mommy's on her way home. 
And Gabriel has not done the jobs that were asked of him yet. Anybody ever felt that panic? You know the arrival is coming. Some of you know this with your husband or your wife, right? I know I was supposed to do this before. And uh, they're on their way, and now i got ten minutes to do what I had four hours to do, right? The day of the Lord is coming. The moment of arrival has come. And they're going to come in, and they're either going to rejoice at what they see, or they're gonna, you're going to incur the wrath of mom. Anybody know what I'm talking I think we've all experienced this, haven't we? Uh, and I don't know why it is. This is like a side note. I don't know. Have you ever noticed how men in particular, it's like, you know, mom does dishes every day. But if I do something out of the ordinary, if I do the dishes, it's like I really expect to be recognized for, for what I've done. <laughs> you know, I, I think we've all, we've all done this. It's like we expect to be recognized and appreciated and give me a lay because I did the dishes, praise God. But I, I believe in a certain sense that this is very much the way the Lord is operating that there are a number of things that have been instructed, that have been given. And there are these moments, and the Bible calls it the day of the Lord. And when the day of the Lord comes, it's either going to be a day of rejoicing and celebration and blessing. Hey, you have been faithful, and I'm going to give you more. Or it's going to be a day where individuals suffer loss. Where individuals are judged, where brokenness remains brokenness. And so you look to review just what we touched on this last week very quickly, the book of Joel is broken down into three sections. It talks about what's going on today, what's going on right now. The second, which we're going to talk about uh, this week, is what can the Lord do in the midst of our present circumstance? Okay, Things can be crummy, but how can the Lord turn this to good? Or how are we going to remain in this in this state that we're in. The third, which I think is going to be really great, we're going to talk about the comfort and the presence of the Lord as he moves us into, uh, I mean, the only way Joel can describe it is national revival, which is absolutely incredible. It's something we got to pray and contend for. But what's interesting is you look at what was expressed in Joel chapter 1. And there were some literal battles that were going on in Joel's day. Joel was a prophet in the Old Testament. And there were literal battles. They had Tyre, they had Sidon, they had the Philistines. They were all at war with Israel at this very time. And they have, in the midst of battles that they're continuously facing, apparently there was this terrible plague of locusts that swept across the entire land. And it affected everything that they did. In fact, we looked at the three areas that Joel mentioned. It affected their luxuries. It affected their worship. And it affected their life essentials. And what I think is, is wild is you look, there's some parallels that we can pull. You look at what COVID has done during this last season. The very first thing that was shut down, the very first thing when I knew that this was serious was when I saw Disneyland was shutting down. Then all the movie theaters are shutting down. And then all the uh, sporting events are, are shutting down. Now some of these things have begun to open. But even this last week, I saw another article about how multiple studios in Hollywood are, are on the verge of bankruptcy, may not recover at all. There's this judgment that has come upon the luxuries and what many would even call idols in our nation. In fact, even some of the, 
the day-to-day luxuries. My wife is still waiting for the day where the spas open. luxuries were taken in Joel's day and I think we've seen many of our luxuries taken away today worship was affected in Joel's days they could not bring offerings uh, to the Lord any longer it was they were completely hindered in the centerpiece of what was worship in their day and even today right now we see there are churches still fighting legal battles can we worship can we sing can we have a gathering over a certain size And then, of course, we know the essentials have been uh, affected very well. People are losing their jobs. In fact, I've had multiple conversations with people this last week. They're not bringing me back when they open up again. Oh, I lost my job. Oh, my cousin is unemployed. Heard about one family, you know, suicide within the family. Uh, uh, I mean, this stuff is on and on and on. Essentials are being affected. And in Joel's day, we talked about how last week they repented of their sin, they fasted, and then they began to cry out. And they began to touch not only the church, but the community leaders, and eventually the whole nation began to cry out to God. Now, I want to give you an outline for what chapter 2 deals with, and I think this is going to help us. This is going to be encouraging. We're going to talk about revival today. But let me give you three points. I'm going to give you the outline at the beginning, and then you can kind of fill in the gaps as we move through it, okay? Here's your three points for today. Repent, revive, and remain. Repent, revive, and remain. I know some of you are writing this down, but I want you to, I want you to say those three words with me right now. Repent, revive, and remain. You're going to see this pattern plays all throughout the book of Joel. And I really believe it's a great model for ministry. It's a great model for evangelism. I think it's effective to work in your workplace, to repent, to revive, and to remain. Now, last week I talked extensively, not expensively, extensively about repentance about how the day of the Lord is approaching, how there is either judgment or blessing, and the way that you choose which side of the line you're going to be on is repentance. If I'm on the wrong side of the road, listen. Don't give up. Don't think I've blown it. Judgment is coming upon me. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my work. I'm going to lose my health. No, all you got to do is get it right. The only reason the Lord speaks to us is to get things right. Okay, so don't give up. In fact, the Bible even talks about how a wicked man falls, they don't get up. But a righteous man falls and he gets up seven times. Have you ever read that? It's important. The only difference between a wicked and a righteous person, are you going to get up? Are you going to try again? Are you going to keep after the Lord? You guys hearing me today? So the first thing we want to talk about is to repent. I talked about it last week, but I just want to share one idea. We read the verse just a moment ago. But one thing that I want to note is, is the chapter, chapter 2 begins with sound the alarm, blow the trumpet. Now this is most likely talking about a ram's horn. And, uh, and I did a study on this. It's very interesting, but they... Uh, Ram's horns were only used for two purposes. The trumpet, as it was blown, was only used for two purposes throughout Scripture. 
Uh, first of all, it was used to gather individuals for a special occasion, right? So around the feasts, uh, in fact, they call one of them the Feast of Trumpets. It was actually just a little over a week ago where they celebrated. And for the first time on the Temple Mount in like 1,600 years, they actually blew a trumpet in Israel. It's a very significant. Next week, I'm actually going to talk a little bit about some end time stuff because what God intends to do is going to carry us all the way into the millennium. It's a big deal. I want to be a part of it. I want you to be a part of it. But it, the, the trumpet was a form of celebration. Let's gather together and let's celebrate something that the Lord is doing, used in different seasons and times. The other occasion that the trumpet was used was to warn about danger. Something is coming, something is going on, and you need to be aware of it. And this passage in Joel is not a gathering of celebration. It's not a trumpet blast to say, hey, it's time for a feast. No, this is a trumpet blast that says, listen, there's a warning that is being issued right now, and we need to take it seriously. But I want you to understand, the heart of repentance is expressed in verse 13. We read it a moment ago. One of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. Rend your heart, not your garment. Return to the Lord your God. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is slow to anger. He is of great kindness. He relents from doing harm. Do you understand when the Lord calls us to repentance, that's how he's calling us. I know some of us, when, when, when you were corrected maybe growing up, there was just this fearful expectation of judgment and it was a, it was a horrible thing. I know that's how it was at moments and I, and I believe that we need moments like that. Praise God. However, when the Lord calls us to repentance, yes, there should be a healthy fear of the Lord. Listen, God could squash you like a bug in one half of an instant. I mean, I'll tell you, the fact that you've got breath in your lungs is the grace of God. You understand that. Every day, every hour, every breath you have is a gift from God. But understand that when he comes and there is this call to repentance, understand he's coming with graciousness. He's coming with mercy. He's coming slow to anger and great kind. In fact, I think about the fact, the fact that God raised up somebody like Joel to speak to the nation in this time is evidence of God's mercy. You understand, God could have just swept in there and wiped everybody out. I'm judging you guys. You're all going to hell. I'm done with you. But he didn't do that. Instead, he raised up a voice. He sounded a trumpet. And he issued instruction and says, listen, guys, you're testing me. But I'm patient. And I'm full of mercy. And I'm kind. And I'm asking you today, return to me. I tell you, one of the most beautiful things that you can ever experience in your life is conviction. Because it means that God loves you enough to say, come back to me. Come back to me. Draw near to me. I, I don't want you living this way. I don't want you suffering judgment. I want you to be with me and to experience all that I can bring into your life. And so it's very important. So um, we know there's this moment of repentance. And again, I talked about it extensively last week, so I'm, I'm going to move on now. But the second part, who remembers what our second point was today? 
Revive. Everybody say revive. revive. This is very important. So this, we know, was not just a promise for Joel and for the people of this day. What's incredible is, yes, the, the first chapter was dealing with some present-day circumstances, but there's this shift. In fact, the apostles recognized that what Joel prophesied, they were beginning to receive in their day. In Acts chapter 2, verse 16, you'll recognize, it's what we just read out of Joel chapter 2, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. It will come to pass in the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, young men will see visions, old men will dream dreams. On men's servants and maidservants I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Oh my goodness. This is so incredible. This is what God desires to do even in this day. And I'm going to show you this. But one thing, you want to know what revival is supposed to impact? What is revival? In fact, I was watching yesterday. I just, you know, I was looking to get fired up. And so I, I watched this old charisma interview from my mentor, my spiritual father, uh, Steve Hill. And one of the questions that was asked, now he was the evangelist who spearheaded the Brownsville revival, the Pensacola outpouring. And, uh, and, and, and the Stephen Strang, who is the, the editor of Charisma Magazine, began to ask him, you know, why is revival touching your, why is revival touching Brownsville Assembly? Why is God pouring out his spirit? And he pulled out a newspaper, the New York Times. And they had written a glowing review about what was going on at the Brownsville Revival. Secular newspapers, secular media, and they began going back and forth, sharing all of the secular articles that were endorsing that move of God. Why? Because you had addicts who were coming in. You had people in prostitution who were coming in. You had people who were so broken, who were so wrecked. And God in one moment began touching their lives and brought absolute transformation. And it wasn't just a group of religious people that recognized something's going on here. The secular media from around the planet began to recognize something serious is going on here. It was absolutely incredible. And so I believe, you know, some of us have grown up hearing that revival and what does that mean? Oh, that means, what you know, some evangelist is going to come in and we're going to have long services for two weeks and uh, uh, we're going to try not to fall asleep. And uh, that's not revival, friend. And I believe we can organize meetings and we can posture ourselves. Lord, we're going to set ourselves up. We want to we believe for something great to happen. But revival... I'm telling you guys, when God shows up in unprecedented measure, when things happen that no worship team, no pastor, no preacher, no prayer worker is able to conjure, God just begins to move. In fact, you look at some of those early meetings, and you see these moments where God would sweep into these places where, where people would be laid out, no pastor was leading no evangelist was preaching. You'd see kids crying in the altars, looking into the rafters, seeing angels around the... I mean, this is the kind of stuff, guys, I believe for. I believe for God to move in unprecedented measure. This is why I pray every single morning that we gather, God, move beyond me. 
God do? I, I don't want people coming in here and recognizing, wow, what a skilled worship team, what a powerful preacher, what a, what a nice polished service. No, I, I want people to say, I encountered the real in the living God. I want people coming in here who don't believe in God saying, I met God. That's what I want to contend. That's what I want to believe for. But you'll see that revival in Joel's day, it, it touched a number of areas. There was a, there was a physical revival. There was a physical revival. It wasn't just in the spirit. There was a physical revival. The land in Joel 2.18, the Bible says the land was refreshed. There was actual healing that transpired in the land. And they were in famine. They were a war-torn nation. They needed the land to be refreshed. And how many understand? Our nation, our island is in need of refreshing. It's in need of renewing. I'm not just talking about revival that touches the church and now our churches are on fire. But what does the world see? No, I'm talking when God revived his nation, when God revived Israel, when God began to move in Joel's day, it was, a, it was a refreshing that came upon the entire land. In fact, I remember somebody had pointed out to me, and I've never seen this before, Luke 19.10. I used to preach this all the time when I was trying to get people to get excited about soul winning. Let's go do some evangelism. Let's go do some outreach. The Lord came to seek and to save. Anybody remember what the rest of it is? Yeah. Now listen, it's very, very important that you hear the wording. The Lord came to seek and to save that which was lost. I'd always taken that as them that are lost. But that's not what it says. Now listen, lost souls, absolutely top priority. We need to be mindful. We need to be concerned about the lost that are away from Jesus. But Jesus said he came to seek and to save that which was lost. You understand that it wasn't just souls that were lost when mankind fell. But dominion of the earth was compromised. That the enemy came. The enemy today in most regions and areas operates. Jesus was very clear as the prince and the power of the air. Ephesians talks about how he is a ruler of, of, of in authority in, in high places. That's not in hell that the devil is. No, that's upon the earth. This is why it's so important for us as kingdom ambassadors to go and to take air. This is why our senior pastor, I'm so thankful. No, we're going to buy a property in Kona. I've heard stories about the things that used to go on here, the bars and the clubs and the shady things that used to transpire right here on this property. But you know what happens? We've taken this acre of land and we are now setting it aside for worship. For holy purposes. And what was under the dominion of the enemy is now under the dominion of the Lord. Praise God. We own this. And the Lord will set up strategic areas and locations. And he'll raise up prayer warriors who will do war in the heavens. I'm telling you, there is a natural reviving that needs to happen even upon the land. We're going to see this. We're going to contend for this. In fact, you'll notice a, a very familiar passage. Most of us could quote it by heart. 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by, their, by my name begins in the church. We talked about that last week. Will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Repent. Right? Then I will hear from heaven. Now watch this. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. 
There is a physical revival. God wants to do things in the natural. As part of what happens when he begins to pour out his spirit. There's so much that could be said about this. But we need to pray for the land. We need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for this island. That God would redeem it. That God would restore it. And part of this, I just want to, I got to highlight this and then I got to move on. Joel 2.25 says, I will restore the years that the locust has eaten. This is one of my, one of my favorite verses. When I first got right with God, I was, was 18 years old. And I knew that I had wasted more or less the last 18 years of my life. As early as I can remember, I'd moved into rebellion. All throughout junior high and high school, I was given to drug addiction, all forms of immorality. I mean, you name it, dabbled in witchcraft. And I just, I remember when I got right with God, having these moments where it's like, God, I've wasted so many years. God, I've burned out my brain. I, 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 and I had offers. I mean, I was in a, in a church that tried to get me in leadership, but I, I knew that I wasn't living right. And so I'd always denied that, and, and I just wonder, God, what if, what if these last 18 years I had prayed? What if I had sought you? What if I had served? What if I had been developed? And there was this guilt thing that began to hit me until I read this verse. Joel 2, 25, I, uh, it so impacted me when I saw that the Lord would restore the years that the locust had eaten. That that which the enemy came in and took. I'm telling you, if you get on the right side of the line, if you repent and you begin to walk with Jesus, everything that the enemy has taken, you can command that he give it back. I began to pray every single day. God, I've wasted 18 years of prayer. I've wasted 18 years of leadership. I've wasted 18 years of integrity. I've wasted 18 years of relationship. I've wasted 18 years in foolishness. But Lord, I'm asking today that you would return to me every one of those 18 years. And you know what I believe? I mean, I began to experience explosive growth in my personal walk with the Lord. And I believe what God did is he took 18 years of growth and he gave it to me over the span of about a year and a half. I would encourage you. Some of you have never taken time to pray about that. Some of you have wasted a lot more than 18 years of your life. Some of you may say, I'm 40 and I've wasted most of my years. You begin to pray. What the enemy has stolen from me, those years that have been wasted, I am commanding now, Satan, give it back. Lord, would you restore to me everything that the enemy has taken from me? It happens in the natural. If your kids have been wiped out because of the attack of the enemy, your husband, your wife has been wiped out because of the attack of the enemy, you begin to pray, Lord, would you restore what has been taken? If your business has been affected by COVID, you begin to command, hey, I would have made $50,000 over these last six months, and I'm commanding you give it back to me. In fact, in Scripture, you understand, if somebody was caught stealing, you know they had to return sixfold what they had taken. And that's the standard I think we ought to hold the enemy to. That's the biblical, legal standard. And you say, you know what? If over this period of time I would have made X amount of dollars, but I didn't make it because of what's been taken in this last season. You begin to command the enemy, give you back six times what is owed you. Now, you may not have faith for that, and that's going to be your own loss. But that's the way I'm going to be praying. That's the way I'm going to be praying. 
things that have been affected, seasons that have been stolen, whatever it may be, you just begin to do inventory of your life. And you say, since this COVID thing or whatever it may be, it may be different circumstances. I know that's only been this last year. Maybe there's things that have been going on for years in your life that you know the enemy has taken his opportunity and stolen from you. You begin to take inventory. You might even make a list and say, this is what I'm believing. God, you restore to me everything that the enemy has taken. You guys trekking with me? So that's a natural. There's a natural revival or a physical revival, however you want to word it. The second area we see revival is a spiritual revival. Now, I preach about this all the time. But even in, 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 let me just give you one thought from the book of Joel. It says in verse 23 that Joel, he says that God will give you the former and the latter rain. And this was speaking literally, they would call the, the first rains that would come in the season in the spring, they would call that the former rain, what we experience around uh, May, April, around that time, right? Uh, that would bring in the, the, the rain and the, the provision for the crops to grow for the first harvest. But there was a second harvest that came in around October. And in the months preceding that, they would have the latter rain. But what, the, what uh, Peter said on the day of Pentecost when they were experiencing that outpouring, he said, this is what Joel was prophesying. This is what he was talking about on the spirit being poured out on all flesh, on sons and daughters, on men and women, on young and old, on all tribes and tongues and peoples and nations. This is it. It's the former and the latter rain. Now, William Seymour, who was a key figure in the, uh, in the awakenings that took place in our nation a little over 110 years ago now, on Azusa Street, what he said, and I believe this, he believed that what happened on the day of Pentecost would be classified as the former rain. And what they were experiencing, you understand that in the last hundred years, spirit-filled, Pentecostal, whatever you want to call it, spirit-filled. We believe in miracles for today. We believe in the outpouring of the spirit today. We believe that God still does stuff today, right? We believe that what happened in Acts chapter 2, he can still do today. Do you realize that people who took that theological stance in the year 1906, they estimate that there were around 1 million spirit-filled believers on the planet. 1 million. Today, did you know that there is somewhere in the neighborhood of 800 to 1.2 billion believers on spirit-filled believers, rather, on the face of the earth. I'm telling you, you'll see the news report about how, oh, Catholicism is in decline. Oh, the Methodists are in decline. That's great. But rarely, rarely will you see articles that will talk about the fact that globally, the spirit-filled church is growing like wildfire. God is moving in unprecedented measure. You want to know why? The latter rain outpouring began about 110 years ago, and we've seen an explosion from a million spirit-filled believers to somewhere in the neighborhood of a billion today. It's absolutely mind-boggling. But here's what William Seymour prophesied, and this is what gets me so excited. Acts 2, former rain outpouring. What he experienced was the latter rain. But Joel, if you pay attention to what he prophesied, he said that God would give the former 
and the latter rain. And William Seymour prophesied, in fact, it's really wild because Charles Parham, now they'd already been divided in their ministry, but on the same week, they gave the same prophetic word that God, about 110 years later, was going to pour out the former and the latter rain together. You guys, that's what I'm contending for. I'm contending for. I don't pray, God, do what you do at Pensacola again. God, do what you do in Acts chapter 2 again. No, I'm praying, God, what you've done over the last hundred years and what you've done in the book of Acts, do that and combine it all. What we saw in the healing revivals and what we saw in Wales and what we saw in Azusa and Pensacola, what we saw in Acts chapter 2, what we saw in the, in the Hebrides revival, all of these things. You look at the Hawaii's great awakening. God, take all of that. All of it and do it today. Do it right now. I'm telling you guys, there is a theology. I'm going to lay it out real clear next week. It is what God intends to do just before the return of Jesus Christ. There will be the greatest revival. We've heard for years about how terrible things are going to be when the Antichrist comes. You don't understand. The greatest revival in human history will precede the most terrible times that we've ever seen. I'm telling you, get ready. Get ready. We're going to contend to see a mighty move of God. It's what he intends to do in this last day. And I'm just telling you, I'm not going to miss it. You're not going to miss it either. Amen? Yeah. Wow. Okay, I'm, I'm about out of time here. I'm getting too excited about this. We see that... Uh, we see there was a national revival, and we're going to talk about that next week. Uh, uh, but here's the last thing. We talked about repent. What was the second one? Revive, revive and remain. I want to talk about remain for just a moment. This, this is a revival. Now, again, we've seen revivals that come and go where God does something, and it's, it's for a moment, it's for a season. And, and, and that may be okay in some instances, but what I'm believing for in fact, we sat under a, a pastor, the last church that we were in, and he actually didn't want us using the word revival. And this is the reason why, and I understand his reasoning. He said he didn't want us saying revival because when people say revival, they immediately get this picture in their mind. Oh, it's going to be two weeks of long meetings, and that's it, right? So he wanted us to shift our thinking, and instead of talking about contending for revival, he wanted us to talk about contending for a sustainable move of God. Something that's not just a flash in the pan. Wow, that was a powerful season right there. But something that the Lord begins to pour out in unprecedented measure and remains. That's what I want to see, church. I want to see God pour out in unprecedented measure. But it's not just a powerful week or two. Not even a powerful year or two. But let's contend for the sort of thing that God comes and he remains. In fact, Jesus, he was commissioning his disciples, John 15, 16. I chose you and I appointed you that you might go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. Not a flash in a pan. This is where I said, I believe this process works very well. Not just for church and leadership and our direction, but even in our evangelism. It works great when we're talking about how people come to the Lord. You need to repent. 
God's going to revive you. You've been dead in sin. You've got an unrevived soul, spirit man, but but the Lord's going to give you new life today. And then you're going to remain. You're going to remain. I pray this way. It became a, a daily prayer, especially when we were in our evangelistic ministry. And we'd see hundreds of people come to the altars and getting their lives right with Jesus. And I would pray, God, don't let this just be one stirring of their emotions. And then they, and then they go back to their life. But let us see fruit that remains. Let it, let it stick, God. Let, and, and Jesus, he said this all throughout John 15, one of the most incredible prayer passages you'll see. If you remain in me, my words remain in you. What you ask, you will have it. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch by itself will bear fruit. Let's get close to Jesus. That's the key right there. And remain with him. Minister Ryland, would you come on the piano? We're going we're gonna to close, but I have one last thought for you. I'll never forget a conversation I had. I was actually, <laughs> your pastor's got a history. Someday I'm gonna, I'll tell you my, my whole story, but I was getting expelled from high school for my, for my drug activity, and I remember I remember the principal sitting down with me, and he asked me if I was a believer. A principal. This is not a Christian school, public school. He asked me, are you a, are you a believer? And he began to encourage me. He says, you know, I, I notice, he's like, I don't pray as often as I ought to, but when I'm in trouble, I'll pray. And I remember thinking, well, you ought to pray all the time, but who am I to say that right now? You know, I'm sitting here getting kicked out of school. And, but I took his word seriously. And then I found it in Scripture. Psalm 119.71. David said, it was good that I was afflicted because it taught me to seek you. And I've noticed, I can't even tell you how many times over our almost 15 years in ministry now. We see people come into the church, into the house of God all the time because their life is a wreck. And that's okay. My marriage is on the rocks. I can't get over this addiction. I'm bound in this or that. I'm just in ruins. I'm plagued by guilt all the time. Whatever the situation may be. And they come seeking the Lord. We walk with them. We pray with them. We counsel them. We've seen time and time again where God does a great work, turns life around, restored, healed, revived, right? But the challenge is when breakthrough has happened, when revival has touched a life, are they going to remain with the Lord? I find that's where most of the challenges come. You even look at some of the greats in the Bible. Boy, Elijah was doing awesome. He's facing down the prophets of Baal. He's got all these challenges back to back to back. But after the victory is where he struggled. David, David was doing incredible as long as he was in battle. But he takes a season off. He's not fighting. He's not afflicted. There he sees that woman, falls into sin. This is where our challenge comes most of the time. It's not when we're in the battle. As long as you seek the Lord in the battle... He'll bring you through. But when the battle has been won, when the victory has been, are you going to remain with him?
Because this is what I want us to remember. I, I think this is going to be the key. We can get excited about praying for revival or excited about repentance or excited about whatever it may be. But are we going to remain? We need the Lord to help us. We need the Lord to help us. Amen. I need help. Praise God. Would you stand to your feet? I, I, I want to pray. God's going to do great things. And he's going to use you guys. You know that? I was just, I was blown away last night when I saw this room completely fill up with Russians. I'm telling you guys, it was slam-packed all the way to the doors. And I'm just like, God, you're doing a big... I, I warned those guys. I'm like, don't advertise. We've not done any advertising for our church yet because I know. You know what I know? People on this island are very hungry. And there's been a spiritual vacuum, a spiritual void, I believe, that's existed right here in this area. All across this island. And I believe with all of my heart that the Lord is calling us to help fill that void. We're trying to make the house ready to contain what we believe God's going to do. Nights like last night, we just got a glimpse of it. But we need to be ready. Every one of us need to examine where we are with the Lord. And God, am I ready? Am I ready for this? I'll tell you, one of the most stirring moments in my life is uh, I was about a year or two in the ministry maybe even the first year. And all I would pray and contend and, and preach about was revival, seeing a mighty move of God. And God began doing something powerful, unusual uh, in Florida. Significant revival, if I, if I said the name or whatever, you, most of you would know exactly what I'm talking about. Remember, we went down there and we experienced it. We saw people healed. We saw demons cast out. It was a powerful, no doubt about it. But about six months in, after we'd kind of become connected and gone down there a few times, we watched the leader of that revival fall, uh, moral failure, drug, alcohol abuse, sexual immorality, everything. And we just watched this guy who'd walked with the year, Lord for many years in one short season, self-destruct. And I felt like the Lord prompted me in that moment. And I stopped praying for revival. And I shifted my prayers instead to say, Lord, prepare me for revival. I don't want to contend for something that comes and I self-destruct because, you know, there's some issue that I don't resolve and that thing is amplified when the moving of God is amplified. And that's where I pray. I'm telling you, most of, most of you in this room are going to lead. You're going to lead. This church, if you just want to be a spectator, just sit on the fence and watch, you're going to feel a lot of pressure a lot of the time because there's work to be done. There's things we need to repent of. Let's do that. God's going to revive you. 
He's gracious. He's merciful. He's slow to anger of great kindness. He does not want to bring harm or judgment. He wants to leave behind a blessing. And we're going to remain with him. We're going to remain with him. Come on, let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you for speaking to us. We thank you, Lord, for the conviction of your Holy Spirit. And God, I'm asking even today, there may be some within the sound of my voice that we've not felt the conviction of your Spirit for a long time. Maybe we've grown numb to that. Maybe we don't recognize when you're correcting us any longer. But God, I'm asking today that you would tenderize our hearts once again. Let us be so sensitive when something we say, do, think, act grieves you. Lord, I'm asking, I know that you're preparing this body. I know that you're preparing this island. You're raising up mighty men, women of God, young and old, of all tribes, tongues, peoples, and nations. Lord, you're doing that because you intend to pour out your spirit in unprecedented measure right here in this, on this island, God, right here in Kona. You're going to use us. But God, I'm asking, as much as we pray for that, we're asking that you would prepare us for it. Prepare our hearts. Prepare our lives, mighty God. Is there some, something in our lives, Lord Jesus, that, that you need to remove? God, something that will cause us to self-destruct down the road. Lord, I ask that you would speak to us. That you would help us. God, we'll be quick to repent. We'll be quick to obey you. God, we thank you that you are gracious. You're merciful. You're slow to anger. You're so kind to us. You don't want to judge, but you want to bless. And God, we stand on your word. We just say, Lord, work in me. Work in me, Jesus. Come on, I want to lead us in a simple declaration. If you've got things in your life that you need to get right with God, maybe you've never made a commitment to the Lord, or maybe you're here and you say, you know what, I've got some things in my life that are separating me from God. I want to get it right today. I'm going to lead us in a declaration. We're going to ask him to forgive us, to wash us, and to make us new. Come on, would you repeat this prayer with me right now? Pray, dear Jesus, I ask you, Lord, to forgive me. I've sinned. Wash me, Jesus. Cleanse me by your precious blood. Wash me and make me brand new. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin and give me your righteousness. I believe you died for my sin. You rose from the dead and you're coming back soon. I'm going to be ready. Jesus, be my Savior. Be the Lord of my life. Be my very best friend. From this moment on, I am yours and you are mine. Come live your life through me. In your precious name, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, hallelujah. Come on, give God praise. Let me speak a blessing over you. Would you just lift your hands as I speak 
this blessing over you right now. Today I speak the blessing of God over you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As Abraham was blessed in every way, may God bless you in every detail of your life. As God blessed Jacob, changing his name to Israel, may your name Christian cause you to be fruitful and multiply in all you set your hands to do. When you're tempted and tried, may you come forth victoriously as Job, resulting in twice as much as you had before. Maybe six times as much as the Lord restores the years the locust has eaten. As you raise your children in the admonition of the Lord, may they in turn grow up godly, bringing honor to your family name. When you honor God with your tithe, may financial and material blessing run you down and overtake you in every area of your life. May the devourer be rebuked and annihilated while others rise up and call you blessed. As you wait upon the Lord, obey his word and seek him above all else. May the blessing of strength, courage, protection, and favor be your reward. May the Lord watch over and guard your going out and coming in. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his light upon you, be gracious to you, and give you peace. I bless you in the name of the Father, in the name of Jesus, and the Holy Ghost. Amen and amen.